Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Let this moment happen. Right now, ladies and gentlemen. Do I uh, even get a copy of the notes of this episode? You don't need notes. Am I going in blind? You don't need notes. I'm going in blind. You are a fount of wisdom. It just ever flows. I got a topic. I think we're talking uh, eschatology and... I'll just mission. put mission in front of it because we're a theology and mission podcast. So I figured, you know, I'd ladies and gentlemen, right. we come to you from the Griffith Studio. There we go, the Griffith Studio, the Griffith Studios from Northern Seminary Live. Not to be confused with Northern Seminary Live. The, uh, the what is Northern Seminary Live, Jeff? Northern Live is our two programs: our Masters in Theology of Arts. Uh, in in theology and mission, as well as New Testament, where which McKnight you thinks can McKnight thinks he's in charge of that. You whole can thing. participate in each of those uh, programs remotely from wherever you are, but not online, as in typing in uh, chat boxes and assignments, and nor recorded videos, but online Come. live classes. Right. So I'm I'm in McKnight's class the other night, Monday night, and and people are booming in as I speak. It was really quite a psychedelic experience. It's psychedelic, oh really? We went back uh, to I the think 70s. it's a word out of the 60s. Or 60s. Something. Sorry, I was in the wrong decade there. But here we are, and what is the topic for today? Mr. Well, Wilson? so Dave, so you're saying you're ready to start? Should yeah. we get started? Yes. All right, let's start. From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission. The podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. Our topic is eschatology. Eschatology? Do you even know what eschatology what is? Esch- is? What is, is that the study of last things? Eschatology is uh, a disease that you can catch, or is it like the decay of your fingernail? What is, what is it? this, a multiple choice question? Yeah, what is eschatology? Eschatology is the study of the end times, how God is at work to bring the story to a conclusion. So eschatology is just like studying Daniel and, and the, the weeks and the seven weeks on weeks. and is Book it of the, Revelation. Is it the charts of the Book of Revelation? That's kind of the popular caricature, but what do you mean? By eschatology. Uh, I've already said what I mean. I, it's a study I, I of last mean, things, the end times. Right. And, of course, what you just caricatured is is one of the ways people have, especially in some evangelical traditions, studied eschatology. But ha- what happened uh, last week on Facebook, and I don't remember who actually said this, and I don't mean to throw this particular person under the bus, but they said that eschatology pulls us away from mission. Can you imagine and so I said, I tweeted, or I f- tweeted and Facebooked Well, back. what does he mean? What, what do you think he meant by that? Eschatology pulls us away from mission. It distracts us from mission. What, why is that? Why would that be well, a problem? I think that the young man, I think it was a man, um, was referring to the way we have understood eschatology in the fundamentalist evangelical tradition, which relies heavily on dispensationalist eschatology. Dispensationalism, which looked at Jesus and his ministry of the kingdom as being put into the future and delayed. You know what I'm talking about? 
Yes. So the the idea is that Jesus came and preached the kingdom of God to his fellow Jews, and they rejected it. And so that plan to institute his kingdom kind of got put on hold, and then the church kind of sprang out of that as plan a plan B, as so a to plan speak. B. And now we live in the church age or the church dispensation at, or an era, uh, and that uh, all the promises, in a sense, that Jesus. Uh, offered will still come about later in the future. And why would this be detrimental to the mission, maybe in the mind of this person or as the story well, goes? Uh, a couple of things happen. First, the vision of the world as lost in a spiral of hell uh, starts to take over eschatology. And we start to look at the world as uh, one big, in the words of D.L. Moody, shipwreck. And and so what we're we give the world over to Satan. This this is derived, I think, unfortunately, from the book of Revelation. I think that's an incorrect interpretation of the book of Revelation. But what we end up doing is what D.L. Moody put into words by saying, "I look upon the world as a as a wrecked vessel. God has given me a lifeboat and said, save all you can.' In other words." throw out the life rafts, the uh, life preservers, and pull people out of the world and into the ship, and let's survive until Jesus returns with the kingdom. And that, unfortunately, does a couple of things. It gives us a vision of the world where God is not at work. So for those of us who see mission as um, God reconciling the whole world to himself, it kind of takes us out of that world. So mission's very much harder to do with that dispensationalist view of the world. As, and likewise, um, it... And it becomes very narrow, so it's just saving souls out of the, the watery abyss so that they can be taken away for later, right? Yeah, and it's hard to get motivated because you have to go out and convince people they're going to hell and pull them out of there. And so I can see, I can actually sympathize uh, with the person who said eschatology pulls us away from mission. Would another way of saying that is to... Uh, the old saying that they're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Eschatology is so futuristically oriented that it's not any missionally good. Uh, I stumped him. All right. A bit of a stretch. (laughs) I thought it was brilliant. uh, All right, go on. Lead the way, Dr. Fitch. This kind of eschatology withdraws us, pulls us out of the world. And it's hard to do mission when you're out of the world. Well, folks, um, thankfully, there's this guy named George Ladd who uh, taught at Fuller Seminary, who actually was a dispensationalist himself. And I'm talking now, oh, somewhere around the late 60s, early 70s. He starts uh, writing his uh, New Testament theology. And uh, he's... He restores the kingdom of God front and center to what God is doing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. For those of you who don't know, uh, dispensationalism was a reaction against liberalism and the uh, kind of progressive view of the world where God's at work in the world. Um, we, you know, uh, don't need the church anymore, and God's bringing in his kingdom. It's kind of like an over-realized eschatology, and we lost the idea of conversion. Dispensationalism was a reaction against that. But George Ladd beautifully restores the kingdom to the front and center of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. And for many of us who grew up in evangelical traditions, we never heard about the kingdom. Did you hear about the kingdom growing up in your church? Never. 
it was more Romans, uh, how we're all depraved and we need to be saved from eternal damnation and hell all the and, time. And we need to get saved and walk forward and, and, and not, not that there's not that, you, you know, I, I remember George Lindbeck saying the substitutionary view of the atonement is better than nothing. It's better than having no view of the atonement. So the fact that we had an atonement was good, and it's a it's a viable part of the story of God, but it's not complete. Anyways, George Ladd starts talking about the kingdom in terms of it has begun, but it is not yet complete. He was actually borrowing off this guy named Oskar Kuhlmann, German, Helschgeschichte. That was not a swear word, folks. Salvation history in German. Say and, it again. And, if, if Scott McKnight were here, his German pronunciation is much better than mine. He'd be laughing, laughing, and scoffing. I said laughing. I meant <laughs> you laughing would have done both. You're laughing right. at me. We love Scott. Hey, preview. Scott wants to have. Uh, we're going to do a little crossover podcast. Speaking of Scott McKnight, his Kingdom Roots podcast is going to have us on to talk about your book, and we'll probably broadcast it here on Theology and Mission. Also, so sorry, a little Ooh, plug what for music Scott. Music are we going to use in that podcast? I I don't know. It's his podcast, so he'll do whatever music he wants, All and right. then we can have him on our our podcast later. If any of you uh, listeners would love to have Scott on uh, Theology and Mission, give a little shout out, and maybe we can uh, compel him to. Come on. So back to your thought. We were talking about Oscar Kuhlman. We we're talking about George, George Ladd. And George Ladd uh, helped us understand that the kingdom has begun. You know all the parables of Jesus. It begins as a mustard seed grows into the big tree. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. The kingdom, you know, starts out small, grows big. The 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 wheat and the chaff and the, and the seeds grow amongst the wheat. And, and all these great parables of the kingdom. Well, well so Ladd helped us understand it's begun but it is not yet completed. And so, by the way, McKnight argues uh, vehemently uh, that Ladd's view of the kingdom was too individualistic of an eschatology, too dynamic in breaking. He wants to see it much more spatially driven church uh, as a sociological geographic space. I want to argue, by the way, it's also a sociological, although not geographical space. But anyways, all that to say, Ladd led us to see that the kingdom has begun but yet it is not complete. And I think the great part of that whole thing is that it draws us into participation in the kingdom. So we remember, so so, do you want to say anything more before I go into the three things that the new eschatologies of now, N.T. Wright, Scott McKnight, to some degree the apocalyptic theologians of the New Testament call us to? You want to, have you got any summary statement? Well, it's just the, uh, so the summary would be is that eschatology uh, is not something that's just happening in the future, but it's happening now. Uh, it's the future breaking into the present. So I've heard it said, just to be practical, you know, like Christians uh, should be living from the future into the present. Most of us spend the time thinking about the past and organizing our lives either to repeat the past because something good happened or to avoid the past because something bad happened. And in one sense, we're always looking behind us. But uh, faith in Christ and the new creation that he has offered us and that is in breaking all around us is in one sense the future coming out of the future and into the presence. And so Christ is, is taking all the future goodness, riches, new creation and abundance and applying it to those who believe in him now. This is part of what the inheritance of the Holy Spirit is. And so there's this idea of the already and not yet. And so we are supposed to be uh, previews of the future. So yeah, it's kind of like a, a science fiction time travel movie, but... That's what the church is. That's kind of is where a preview of the future reality. There's a little bit of Moltmann in there. 
uh, that you're saying. But but this all points to the importance of getting your eschatology uh, more well-rounded. Can I put it that way? Uh, yeah, because I do think, for me, you know, going to seminary in the 80s and studying with a guy named Bob Gulick and Dave Scholler, who opened me up to George Ladd, and then discovering N.T. Wright just a short few years later. Uh, oh, I am so invigorated by what God's doing in the world and to participate in it. It changes everything. And I think I think one of the big problems in the church today, and now I'm talking about my own church, evangelical church, is a lack of an understanding of what God's doing in the world. When you and I at Life in the Vine, along with Ty Grigg, preached through reading Revelation, and I think your wife was preaching. Yeah, Sid was there too, yeah. Sid, uh, man, that was an earth shaker. Reading Revelation responsibly, Michael Gorman's uh, commentary on Revelation. Mm-hmm. All of those foundational. Could it get any better than that? Uh, I don't know. It was real long, though. That took us, like, a long time. It was worth every Sunday. It was worth it. Um, Okay, so back on topic here. I think there's three things that happen when you get your eschatology straight and you get it into the stream of the inaugurated, already but not yet, structure of eschatology. We'll call it Helsgeschichte for short. <laughs> uh, is uh, One, it's participationist. So we have been invited to participate. It's not only that God's bringing in his kingdom, but we've been invited to participate. So Mark eleven twenty three. remember Jesus is saying, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go! Throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt it in their heart, but believes, trusts that what they say will happen. It will be done for them. Well, you know, the Zechariah passage, the couple other passages in the Minor Prophets about the, the, the valley shall be made flat, low. The kingdom shall come in. Jesus is referring to those passages where God's kingdom shall come via the, the valley, the shall be the, the the Mount of Olives shall be made into a plain and the kingdom shall come. And he's saying not that if you believe hard enough and strong enough, you can do anything you want. That's the American version of the kingdom. He's saying if you can trust that the kingdom is coming and trust in my work, you can participate in this. And I think that that's one of the major things we need to understand about uh, eschatology and mission. You know, uh, we are in a denomination, you and me, Christian Missionary Alliance, where the central verse became, uh, where is it? Uh, it's uh, that verse in Matthew, the gospel shall be preached to all nations and then the end shall come. And A.B. Simpson, our founder, said that must mean that we go out and proclaim the gospel to all the nations and, and we usher in the kingdom. Well, that's another way of saying we get to participate in what God's doing to bring in the kingdom. What do you think about that? Well, absolutely. But is it that we're bringing in the kingdom? This is part of the struggle of getting our eschatology straight. Are we bringing in the kingdom? Or uh, is no. God bringing in God's the kingdom? God's bringing in the kingdom, and we get to join We're like in. heralds. We're witnesses. Participants. We participants. But it's not, and this is where sometimes, you know, we always need to, to nuance these things is that it's not us who bring in the kingdom, but rather it's and in one sense that we are the ones who live according to the kingdom that is already here. So there's a diff, there's a slight difference there, right? We it's don't so bring important. in the kingdom. Uh, and I think this is a lot of what gets people confused about, well, what is the task of the church? Is the task of the church is to make, is it to make the whole rest of the world look like the kingdom or is it to witness to the kingdom come? There's a little bit of Bart in there. 
Did you? I hope everyone hears the difference. Though is our job as the church to bring the kingdom to the whole world, or is it to witness that the kingdom has come? I remember a lot of times hearing this verse growing. The answer is the seconds. The thinking seconds. Thinking it was my job to bring in the kingdom, and that's unfortunately another error yes. that is made eschatologically in relation to mission. Well, let me go on to my second point. That my would second- be. An overrealized eschatology. Well, after you do your three points, let's talk about the difference between an overrealized and an underrealized I'm talk eschatology. About it in my last point. Oh well, if I had seen your notes, I would have known that. But I'm I'm going in blind. Gotta, I'm gotta, going in blind here, buddy. Trust me. Okay. Trust me. Uh, in Fitch, we trust. Second point is the church world distinction. Uh, I don't really like when um, people um, say there's no distinction between the church and the world. Uh, and they're trying to get rid of that sacred, secular distinction that is basically a Christendom way of thinking about the church. God is in the church. He's not out there in the world. However, there is a distinction between the church and the world. And I like to say it's not a spatial one. God's here and he's not out there. Um, it's an eschatological one. It's an eschatological distinction. For we, the people of God, are experiencing the kingdom of God ahead of the rest of the world. We are, in a sense, already here under the lordship and reign of Christ, and the kingdom is breaking out in our midst, and we're already where the rest of the world is heading. They just don't know it yet. And so we're invited to witness to what he's doing and invite the rest of the world to join in. And so 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says, And he shall reign until all things have been made subject. We're in the process of revealing, witnessing, living under his reign, the mighty works of his kingdom being displayed before the world so they can be invited in. I love this way of thinking about the church world distinction. What do you think, Jeff? So is this the old Harawasian phrase that the the role of the church is to be the church so that the world can know that it is the world? Everything I say is a footnote to Stanley Hauerwas. Well, yeah, but we haven't brought him up in a couple of podcasts. So <laughs> I, I thought we'd at least, you know, do it now. Right. It's been a little, it's been a little while. Think about how this dynamic changes the way the church but lives. But it's the church in, and among the as world. distinct, and this is important, it's the church distinct from the world in order that it could be truly for the world. Yeah. Right. So sometimes we feel like we need to break down the church world distinction because the church has become so insulated and insular. Church no, against the world. That it's a church against the world that it no longer is participating or influencing or being salt and light in the world. And so a lot of people want to break that down and say true mission is outside the church. God's kingdom is breaking forth outside the church. And the church could be a forgettable thing or it's at least marginal, blah, blah, blah. But uh, so that's no good. And certainly we don't want the church against the world. But we need this understanding that the church needs to be the church so that the world can know what it's missing out on. And so in one sense, the church should such a, be such a wonderful party and exuberant display of love for one another that the church is drawn in. That's like the proper view of what an attractional church would be, is that they would be so drawn in by the fellowship and love and celebration of the church that they'd want to come in and be compelled. And that would be the church witnessing to the kingdom, which in many of the parables of Jesus is some sort of party. Yeah. So, um, well put. So my, my last point. Wait, wait, what was it? Can you, can we put that on the recording here, people? Well put. Thank you. Thank you. I affirm you all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, my last right. point, point ladies and gentlemen. Point yeah. three. Um, we have to lead our congregations. This is essential. 
we have to lead our congregations from those two spaces. One, futuristic eschatology. The kingdom is entirely future and has nothing to do with what God's doing in the world today, otherwise known as dispensationalism. Which was the dispensationalist one that we started with. And the over-realized eschatology, which the kingdom is entirely here, 100%. All we have to do is go find another justice project out there, and, and we can and we can assume God's at work there, which ends up becoming our own energy and our own work and our own, by the way, I would argue, exhaustion. And we lose the distinguishing power and presence of God for what he wants to do to complete all things in himself. We have to move either from the far right, futuristic, or the far left, real over-realized, to this uh, can I call it a central space of tension where God has begun the work of the kingdom and we are invited to participate in making it happen. And everywhere we go, let's discern what he's doing, his presence, and participate in the coming of the kingdom. I think that's, uh, I just want to end with uh, that essential point is we need to discern the kingdom all around us. It's neither the kingdom is uh, in the future it's abandoned us. Our sole task is to save individuals from hellfire. That would be an under-realized eschatology. Under-realized or, or futuristic. Or the over-realized, over-realized eschatology, which sees every single project in the world as equally determinative of the kingdom and that the church should be doing all these things and shame on them for not you know, doing everything that they possibly could to alleviate poverty or oppression in the world. Of course, of which we should lament, but... Uh, you know that it, if we it's just that's an overrealized eschatology to say that the church is is coterminous with all these different kinds of things. Right. That's what I think. Uh, I muddled it up enlight- there. The Enlightenment narrative said the world is on a course of progress that cannot be stopped, and God's at work in it. And unfortunately, that did not allow for an understanding of the rebellion, the sin, and the the un- and the terrible things that happened in most uh, obviously in World War II where Karl Barth was in the middle of it and where he rejected that kind of over-realized eschatology of the world. So, um, again, we'll just close with this. We need to lead to this other space. And I would encourage all of you who want to study more on this, what books, what top books would you um, would you recommend? Which uh, one of eschatology? Writes? Uh, an N.T. Wright favorite one? In there? Well, I mean, the classic one is The Surprise by Hope, yes. where he talks about issues of the resurrection, the kingdom come, heaven and earth, heaven and hell. He even brings up purgatory and the afterlife. And he, he really focuses on uh, uh, getting beyond the issues of life after death. Uh, but he speaks of the life after life after death. And so what is the, what is heaven like and what is the kingdom like coming? So I think that's a classic one. Uh, Scott McKnight in his kingdom conspiracy, he talks about it in a slightly different angle, not so much eschatological, but more of the kingdom issues, I think is another what classic What about George book. Ladd? Like Blessed Hope was a good, simple book. Didn't you know, read you it. You didn't read that stuff. I read his New Testament theology, though. Yeah. So, yeah, those are all great places. And if you want to come to Northern Seminary and study this, do you, you know, we have three or four of the best people to study with. I'm, I'm talking now about Cherith V. Nordling. Uh, I'm talking about Scott McKnight. Uh, you know, you're not bad yourself. Thank you. you. That's two right. compliments in one podcast. You, you I'm going to write this right down. In, the, in your systematic theology and eschatology. Amen. 
All right. So, hey, uh, so what uh, are you reading these days, Dave? Uh, I'm going to recommend a book called uh, A Nazareth Manifesto, Being with God by Sam Wells. And Sam explores uh, in, in much more theological vigor the same theme I'm exploring in my upcoming book called The Faithful Presence. I actually get practical and give seven disciplines for it. But he's talking about, oh, the way... Um, God comes to be with us and out of this presence changes the world and we have to enter in to God's presence with us uh, to participate in that transformation. It's a great book but it is kind of thick. A Nazareth Manifesto. I began reading it a couple weeks ago. I love it. Being with God by Sam Wells. Uh, I think it came out last year, 2015. All right. well, uh, you're going to think this is funny and I always say the, the word wrong. But I'm rereading a book by uh, St. Augustine called the Enchiteron. This uh, translation is the handbook. Someone asked him for a short little handbook that you could carry around of essential doctrines and faith. And so this is where he goes through uh, the creed and the Lord's Prayer and just kind of like talks off the top of his head or writes off what the top of his head. to read an old classic like that? Well, uh, I kind of be, I think the idea of a summary of theology, you know, obviously I teach theology, so those intrigue me, and it's just really interesting the different things that he feels are important, and he spends a lot of time talking about certain things. I was like, I would never spend that much time talking about, like he talked about the difference between lying and error and falsehood and how falsehood is an evil, even if it's, and how being an error is an evil, but it's not necessarily a sin, and he makes all these distinctions, and it's like, well, we would never make those kind of distinctions these days but you know he's talking about a theology or philosophy of language and so it's just interesting you know c.s lewis says that it's important to read old books because they have different blind spots that aren't the same as our blind spots and so when you read a book that's in a totally different cultural or uh milieu then you different questions are raised uh he says the same thing for books in the future you know uh Mm. they would help us Quite yeah, significantly, except for they're not available Augustine to us, unfortunately. sounds like a guilt-ridden soul. Oh, my gosh. He's not Luther. Don't make a Luther out of Augusta. Well, so, anyhow, that's what I'm reading. about is giving me guilt right now just listening to it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's been great to be with you on another Theology on Mission podcast. I don't even know what day it is, but, folks, and it's pretty gloomy outside, usual for these, for these last couple of weeks. We've had such great weather. But uh, it's been good to be with you. Be back. Uh, are you going to skip out next week like you did last week? Or I uh, you skipped out last week. I think it was Don't you. blame that on me. Sorry, everyone, that we've been absent. We do want to post weekly podcasts on the Theology Mission podcast, but we've been a and little. Aren't you going to say that thing about please give us a review? You know, someone on- did review, uh, and they said that when they listen to us, that they go away thinking about God and life, and and that they have to think about it and chew on it. So that was quite the quite the review. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for, for that review. That's encouraging. That, that was super encouraging. Uh, but yeah, people are listening. And if you could review or rate us on iTunes or wherever it is that you're listening, we would be much appreciated. And I think we want to start getting some listener participation as far as topics go. So be uh, ready to uh, send us the things you would like Dave and I to talk about. And we'll see if we can work that in a little bit. All right. For now, it's over and out from the Griffith Conference. Dip. Wait, Griffith. <laughs> Griffith Studio, Radio Studio here at Northern Seminary. Jeff Holsclaw. Dave Fitch. Over and out.